your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of uh, 2 Kings. If you have a Bible with you, turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible, and we'll give it, you can be very, your very own take home read and bring back next Sunday. But uh, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. The Bible, the Bible that you hold on in your hand, either print or, or uh, digital, the, the Bible that you hold in your hand is absolutely full of miracles. From the very beginning until the very end, it is full of miracles. By that, I mean supernatural demonstrations of God's power. All the way back to the very book of beginnings, the first book of the 66 books that, 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 uh, uh, that, that include all of the, the, the entire Bible, 66 books, all the way back from Genesis, the first one, to the book of Revelation at the very end, all of them, there's, there's miracles, not, I wouldn't say in, in every page, but there's, there's a one kind of miracle or another throughout this, this, this book. It's a, it is a book of miracles. Start with a miracle. God spoke everything, <clears throat> excuse me, into existence. That's miraculous. And at the very end, we see the creation of a new heaven and a new earth and, 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 and the resurrection of, the, of all those people who have, who have served Christ and surrendered their lives to Christ throughout time. They're going to be gathered. That's miraculous. And so you see this throughout. Now, the, the, the miracles in the Bible, most miracles recorded in the Bible are, are recorded in, or categorized rather, in, in five different areas. Now, this isn't real main to the message here, but just by way of information, miracles throughout the Bible are recorded in, categorized and can be categorized in five different ways. First of all, miracles of provision, right? God miraculously provides where people are, are fed or they are watered. We saw that last week. We saw that kind of a miracle or somehow sustained. So we see miracles of provision. There are also miracles of protection where people are, are supernaturally kept from harm, right? An enemy's coming against them or somebody's coming to apprehend someone and God protects them. We all, you also see uh, miracles of healing throughout the Bible where some injury or illness, God supernaturally cures them or raises someone from the dead, right? That's, that's a healing. That's kind of the best kind of healing. Someone's raised from the dead. You also see miracles of deliverance where people are set free from someplace or delivered from demonic spirits. Those are miracles of deliverance. And then you have miracles that are related to nature. That, 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 that go against the natural uh, laws uh, like, like creation. That, 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 was a, that was a miracle of nature, uh, water supernaturally parting, right? We've looked at that. Uh, fire coming down from the sky, that's, that's miraculous. The, or, or the calming of a storm where Jesus in the New Testament, spoke to the storm, and it's still, that, that, is a, that is a supernatural demonstration of God's power. In one word, we call it a miracle. And most miracles benefit people. Now, that, that's very important. That's what they have in common. Most miracles will benefit people. Uh, somebody has a problem, God supernaturally demonstrates his power to them, and they end up better than they were at the beginning, or different, or set free. You know, something, something is better. So someone is benefited from a miracle. 
Well, here in 2 Kings chapter 2, it is very early in the ministry, the public ministry, the leadership ministry of this man named Elisha. Elisha, if you've been with us in some weeks here, we've been looking at him and his predecessor named Elijah, similar sounding name, but a different person. And we've seen how God has really used these people named Elijah and then Elisha in supernatural ways. God has used them. And again, we've, we've looked at, at many of these here. Um, and God has already at this point, even though it's very early in Elisha's leadership role in, in Elisha's ministry as the premier prophet, mostly to the nation of Israel, God had already used him in two miracles, even at this point. The first one, the first one was when he parted the waters of the Jordan River. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago and how Elijah, having just gone up into heaven, his cloak falls down. Elisha goes over, picks it up, walks over to the Jordan River, hits it, and, he, and, and, and God miraculously parts the water and they walk across on dry ground. Very similar to the last miracle that God used for Elijah. And then the second miracle that God used him in was the healing of the waters back in this place called Jericho. Uh, the waters were, were bitter. It was, it, it was hurting livestock, hurting people, probably killing plants. It was destroying, making it a desolate area. And God used him miraculously to heal these waters. And so, so and we looked at that last week, by the way. And let me just add this without preaching last week's message. If you weren't here, seriously, you need to, you need to listen to it and just be, receive what God has for you through that message from God's Word. It's available, but, but I believe that God has not only, he, not only healed waters back in Jericho a long time, but He's healed some bitterness in many of you. Glory to God for that. And, and, and so we, we, we saw that last week, that second miracle. It was, a, it was a, a miracle of healing or a miracle of provision, both. The third demonstration, the third demonstration of God's power associated with Elisha, it doesn't seem to fit into any of the five categories that I mentioned a few moments ago. Because this miracle, and it is miraculous, as you'll see, it seemed to benefit no one. I mean, it was not a case of, at the end of the story, people are better off than they were at the beginning. And it happened, it happened near a place called Bethel. Bethel. Now, before we read the text, there's something that you need to know about this place called Bethel. While it was initially a place where, where God met with man, you can read about it in the book of Genesis, how, how Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of the, of the Jewish people, how he had a dream, and when he woke up the next day, having met with God, he, he puts up a stone that he had been resting his head upon, and he anoints it with all oil, and, 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 and this is where he met with God. It was really quite a, a, a wonderful story. That had happened about, about a thousand years before this event here in Second Kings chapter 2. It was initially a place where God had met with Jacob. But by 2 Kings chapter 2, where we're about to read, Bethel had become a center of pagan worship. A lot had happened in those thousand years. 
because about 100 years, oh, there have been a number of things that we could trace back, but one really significant event about 100 years or one century before this occasion happened when a man named Rehoboam, he was king, a man named Rehoboam, who, excuse me, Jeroboam, who was, was an idol worshiper, Jeroboam was an idol worshiper, he created two golden calves. Now, it takes just a little bit of explanation. You go, what's the significance of that? Well, you remember back again in the book of Exodus where the people would wander from God and they created a golden calf, remember that, and God's judgment came. Well, it's really amazing how things repeat themselves because now centuries later, this man, this king named Jeroboam, who was pagan himself, creates these two golden calves. He puts one far north in a, a, the farther north, nor, northernmost part of his kingdom in a, in a city called Dan. He places this other golden calf in this place called Bethel, in the southern part of his kingdom. And he says to the people essentially this, you don't need to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple there. He says, let's just stay here in our territory and you can worship God up in Dan. We've got a nice statue, a nice golden calf up there. And we've got one here in the southern part so you don't have to go very far. You can just worship God right here. That's what had happened here in Bethel. told them, worship God here. Now, you need to know that for what happens here. That's very important to understanding what is ha- about to happen here in this text. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 reads this way. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, right? So this is a center of worship. And as Elisha was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town, and they jeered at him, and this is what they said, go on up, you bald head, go on up, you bald head. Now, you can imagine this, right? This guy's walking along. All of a sudden, we know that there are a number of them from later on. A number of them come out of the city and they begin taunting him, jeering at him. Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. Now, a very careful reading of the text will reveal one important thing. Elisha was probably bald. How many of you got that? <laughs> you study the, if you study the, the, the Hebrew, it's, it's there. He was probably bald. Now, Elisha was not very old at this point. Um, some say maybe he was in his late 20s or 30s. Uh, it, it was, he would live for about another 50 years. He was so his baldness, he, it, was, it was probably just he was genetically predisposed to baldness. And they're taunting him. These young men, there's a bunch of them, they'd come out of the city and, and, and you, I don't, I, 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 re, I remember what it was like to be a young man and, and sometimes you do things, say things, act certain ways when you're in a crowd, right? A gathering of young men can be a really wonderful thing or it can be a really dangerous thing. This was a dangerous thing because I don't know if they were maybe just a little bit more loose with their words because they were in the presence of others and young men trying to maybe prove something. I I don't know, but we know what the young men did. 
We know what the young men did, but let's read what Elisha did. It says, verse 24, Elisha turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Um, you, you, we read that right. He called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And it implies immediately two bears come out of the woods mauled 42 of them. Maybe injured others, but 42 killed. And that's it, right? End of story. That's the end of the story right there. Elisha's third miracle is very brief. And you have to look at this and you go, why is that even there? I mean, I'm not questioning God's word, but I mean, that, that would be a natural reaction to somebody reading through this for the first time. They're going, th- plowing through 1 Kings and it's great stuff, and then get into 2 Kings and you're going, why is that there? Just two verses. What's with that? Does that have a purpose? Well, here's the thing. It's the word of God. Yes, it has a purpose. There's not, there's not, a, there's not, there's not a, a line in this book that is there by mistake. It's there for a purpose. 42 young men were dead. No one seemed to benefit from this. 42 young men were dead. You know, I, I, as I was studying this text, I, th- I thought, I've got to put myself in this position. How would, how would I feel when word came to me as a father now? How would I feel when word came to me, oh, I've got some bad news. Your son and 41 others have been slaughtered by bears. What? How did that happen? Well, there was a prophet of God, Elisha. They were teasing him. He turned, called on the name of the Lord and cursed them. The bears came out and killed them. Now, there may have been some siblings in there, but there's as many as 42 grieving families. Just devastated. Imagine the carnage of that scene. And it happened? I mean, you look at this, two verses long. There's, I mean, right, the whole story right there. And it happened because They teased Elisha for being bald? It seemed like a a little bit of an extreme. Well, it wasn't, really wasn't the, the full picture. Again, please remember, and this is why I needed to give you a a heads up on the background of this community of Bethel. Remember that for years Bethel had been a center for for pagan worship. For for a century, at the very least a century, probably much longer than that, but for a very long time, as long as anyone could remember, 
the people there had increasingly rejected God. It may have started out rather small where, you know, okay, we worship Jehovah God and we go down to, to Jerusalem to the temple and we worship because that's the expectation. We, we follow the law of Moses. We get that. But over the course of time, incrementally, because that's how these things always happen, incrementally they begin to, they begin to move away from God. And they begin to worship more and more and more more these pagan deities. This this is happening, and and over the course of time, they just move further and further away from God. They they reject God. Year after year, generation after generation, they dismiss the things of God. Generation after generation, the worship of the one true God, the power of the one true God, the the exploits of what God had done. I I wonder if after all of this time, if, if any of these people even knew about the whole experience of the exodus. I don't know that for sure, but I really wonder if they knew that the, the power of God and what God had brought these people out of. They were so immersed. So, so buried deeply in pagan worship that the entire culture had changed. And it affected successive generations. It affected successive generations. How could it not? I mean, how, how is it that, that, that you can turn your back against God and worship pagan gods How can you do that for generations and it not affect, permeate the culture of the area? How could it not? You see, that's how it always is. Let me me step away from 2 Kings chapter 2 for just a moment, bring it down to where you and I are. This is how it always is. Understand now, over the course, not just of one lifetime, but several lifetimes. This is how it, how it always is. What one generation dismisses and diminishes, the next generation will often reject. And then successive generations will mock and ridicule and even oppose. You see, there's a sequence there. If one generation let me, let me describe it this way. If one generation worships Jehovah God, if one generation in our time, if they understand, of course, Jehovah God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, if, if one generation serves the Lord Jesus Christ and fails to adequately pass it on to the next generation, the next generation will diminish and eventually dismiss the, the things of God because they will not have it firsthand. And the next generation will mock the things of God. And the next generation could even come to the point of opposing the things of God. Fighting against the things of God. That's how it can happen. And sometimes it doesn't happen in three or four generations. I have seen it happen. Some of you have perhaps seen it happen within one or two generations. Some of us can look at our own family. If you know your family history, I know my family history. And I know what God did in my family two generations before me. 
But I can look around and I can see how now some in my generation, cousins of mine, see, it was our grandparents that came to faith in Jesus Christ. But in my family, there are some who are in my generation and now because I'm old enough, our children and my cousin's children, now the fourth generation from what God did, are even to the point of opposing the things of God. See, this was not limited here to 2 Kings chapter 2. It still happens today. You see, when these young men taunted Elisha that day, you must know that judgment did not come because they teased his bald head, but because of the other words that they used that day. Notice again, you see it before you. Notice again, they repeatedly said, Go on up. Go on up. You see, I, I, I get it if, if, if you, we focus in on the bald head, right? Because, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit, and you just go, okay, yeah, I, obviously they're young men, and they're teasing somebody about that. And we're drawn to that, but that's really, that's not why the judgment came. It's on the words, go on up. Go on up. You say, what's with that? With those words... They were actually referring to Elijah, Elisha's predecessor. Remember, just earlier in this chapter, 2 Kings chapter 2, earlier in this chapter, Elijah had been miraculously carried away in a whirlwind, accompanied by a chariot of fire. Elijah had literally gone up into heaven. I mean, you as far as miracles go, <laughs> that's class A, right? Listen, listen, if you ever see someone carried away in a whirlwind accompanied by a chariot of fire, dude, that is a class A miracle. Put that one in a diary. And, and, and if you don't have a diary, that'd be a good day to start the diary. Today, I saw someone gone up into heaven in a, in a whirlwind accompanied by a chariot of fire. Wow. But you see, word of that had spread. It would. There were 50 witnesses who saw the same thing. Read back earlier in the chapter. Word of it had spread even to Bethel. But here, these young men mocked Elisha with it. Something so powerful, something so dramatic, something so, so very clearly of God that happened just a relatively short time before. But they're taking what God did and they're mocking it. They're using it as the basis of their joke. They wanted him to go away, to leave. Leave here, go on up. <laughs> you go on up too, bald head. When are you going to go up? When are you going to do what Elijah did? Go on up. Go on up. Now, I doubt they knew Elisha. He hadn't really been in a leadership role for very long. I doubt that they knew really much about him. It had happened, the, the miracle that happened in Jericho just recorded just before this, I, I, I don't even know if word of that had gotten there yet. 
They hardly knew Elisha, but they had contempt for Elisha. Isn't that remarkable? They didn't even know this guy, but they had contempt for him. And they had contempt for him because they had contempt for God and for the works of God. This happened in Bethel. This happened in Bethel. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the meanness of some young men. But it was because of what preceded it. What resulted was horrible. It was sudden. And it was swift judgment. Again, I, when, I, when I study Scripture, I wonder things, right? And when I read this story, I wonder, I wonder if when people heard about it, when, when the people of Bethel or other communities, when they heard about it, the carnage that had happened that day, I wonder if they, if they said something like this, how could a loving God do such a cruel thing? How could a loving God, he called on the name of Jehovah, and the bears came out? How could a loving God do something like that? And how many times in the centuries since then, how many times in the centuries since then, when people have read this brief account, two-verse two account, have wondered the same thing? Those poor boys. How could God do that? But the thing is, if these were merely the impulsive actions of a man with a bald head and thin skin? Well, that would be a question worth pondering. But the tragic reality is this. A generation of young people suffered because the generations before them dismissed and rejected the one true God. That's the message of this two-verse story. A generation of young people suffered because the generations that went before them increasingly dismissed and despised and rejected the one true God. Don't ever read this story again and just go, the bears came because they teased the bald-headed man. It's not it. God's not to blame here. Elisha's not to blame here. The bears are not to blame here. It was one generation after the next, after the next, after the next that rejected the things of God. And then judgment came. Now you look at this and you go, oh man, this is hard. And you may think this is Old Testament. Right? This is Old Testament stuff. That's kind of how God operated back then. Mercy was not in great supply. Oh, you couldn't be further from the truth. But this kind of thing happened in the New Testament as well. You may think that things were different then, but what about this? What about Acts chapter 5, where it records how two people were struck dead when they tried lying to the Holy Spirit? See, let me just explain here briefly. The people in the majority of the book of Acts, which is the history book of the early church, 
they're in the same time frame as we are. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then in the second chapter of Acts, the book of Acts, it records the Holy Spirit coming. We are in that time. Just like those people in the, in the book of Acts, we're waiting for Jesus' second coming, just as they were. Jesus was no longer around in physical form. His Holy Spirit now was working in the world, just as he is no longer here in physical form, but his spirit continues to work today. And so what happened to them can happen to us. Again, Acts chapter 5, two people struck dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 12, it records a man who died a horrific, a horrific method of death when he accepted the praise of people who called him a God. And instead of giving glory to God, the Bible says worms ate him from the inside out. That's New Testament. Or how about 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where it says some people who claimed faith in Christ had become sick and some had even died because they, when they received communion they didn't take it seriously. You know, we look at this and we go, yeah, but, but, but God is, how can God operate that way? You know, we sang earlier, we sang earlier, and it's absolutely true. Laura, not knowing what I'm preaching on, started with this text that, that our, our God, and we sang it, our, our God is, 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 is rich in love and he's slow to anger. And that's absolutely true. Of course it's true. It's in the Bible. The bears didn't come out And the first generation came out and finally God said, judgment is coming. See, there's a reason why this is here. There's a reason why this story is here. And that is, we should, as the people of God, take the things of God very seriously. That when the word of God is... If it is, and it is true, then we must understand that it is not just advice given to us in these pages, but it is God's word spoken to us as a way to live. That one of the most important things that we can do is to communicate the power of God, experience the power of God, experience a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and then do everything we can to pass it on to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. But let me tell you what happens today when one generation says, eh, whatever. I've heard this one. And if it's you, I'm not quoting you. I've just heard it so many times, I don't even know who's said it. But I've heard people say this. I've heard parents say this. You know what? We're just going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to force anything on them. We're, we're going to, we're going to let them decide. Well, you can't force anything on anyone. Well, you, you can't. I try. I couldn't even, I couldn't even force mashed peas into my oldest son's mouth. 
You can't force it. No. But I'll tell you what you can do as parents, as, as godly, as one generation. We can say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live Jesus Christ. I'm going to experience Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do everything within my power to communicate to you the importance and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything that I can. But I'll tell you what, when one generation says, ah, whatever, when one generation, if not in word but in deed, lives as if it's only a Sunday morning or a Sunday thing or a few times a week during the thing, and we say that, we, we, that it's important to us but we live a different way, I'll tell you what will happen. It will communicate to the next generation it's no big deal. And what one generation diminishes and dismisses, the next generation will reject. And I promise you, the next generation after them will come to the point where they will mock even what happened. Oh yeah, I had a grandma like that. I had a grandpa like that. Yeah, they were kind of a religious fanatic. Right? You've heard that kind of a thing. And the next generation after that may even oppose the things of God. You say, should shutter every door and take it out of our society and take it any reference to God how did we get to this point it's because one generation after another after another again this is one of those messages where I'm where I'm saying Lord this is where's the where's the hope in this because I mean that's the that 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 verses that you saw up there earlier that's the whole thing but I'm I'm thinking word got out, and it still gets out when we read this, that God takes these things seriously. And we must never mock the things of God. We should grieve. We should grieve when someone mocks holy things, making it the basis of their comic routine. We should fear for people when the punchline of their joke is Jesus Christ. We should cringe when someone mocks a manifestation of his Holy Spirit. We should be appalled when someone misuses God's name or twists Scripture to manipulate other people or to advance their own cause. Because we're taking lightly the things of God. More than anything, we should be alarmed and moved and deeply challenged when we see people around us dismissing the power of the one true God. We, and by we, I mean the church, the body of Christ. I don't mean the structure, I don't mean This congregation, I don't mean a denomination. I'm talking the body of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ around the world, meeting in a lot of different places. But if, if, if true followers of Jesus, we must be the generation that communicates the gospel to successive generations. You've heard this before, it's true, that we are only one generation, we, Christianity, true Christianity, we're only one generation away from extinction at any given time. If we fail to pass it on to successive generations, if we fail in, in our time, God has called us. You know, God did not call them. I've, I've heard people say, oh, I sure wish I lived in the 1800s. What a stupid thing to say. I'm sorry if you said that. 
You know, I'm, I'm, that, that's just dumb because you know what? You didn't live then. You weren't supposed to live then. You're supposed to live right now. So just stop. That's just wasting time. God put you in this generation. You are alive for a reason. You are breathing. You are still fogging a mirror for a reason right now. God has a purpose for you. And that is in the time that we have to communicate the message, the life-changing and powerful message of Jesus Christ to the world around us in the time that we have. You know why? And, and I don't mean this facetiously, but the bears are coming. By that I mean judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. There's going to be a point at which the carnage that we see here in 2 Kings chapter 2 pales in comparison to what will happen around this world. And I take no delight in saying that. It grieves me. It bothers me. When I look around, when I go through a store and I wonder, are they ready to meet Jesus? Because judgment is coming. Does this family know the message of Jesus Christ? Do, do they know the power of the cross? Because if they don't, judgment is coming. My friends, our death approach us, approaches us rapidly and or so does the return of Jesus Christ. One way or another, our time is incredibly limited. It's why we, it's, 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 it's why we minister, by the way. It's why, why you minister to children age infant to the sixth grade. It's why we send young people life-transforming experiences in different cultures. It's why we give to support 40 missionaries who are communicating the message of Jesus Christ to places we'll never go. Many of them children and young people. It's, it's, it's why we're having a thing called mega sports camp. We're doing that to fill a Wednesday night. No, we got other things that we could do. But I'll tell you what, I want to see a, a, tra a, a generation transformed. I want to be able to stand before Jesus someday and say, I, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to add this as well. If, for, if some of you, and I've, I've heard this just, just rarely, not, not too often, thank God and God bless you for it. But I've heard, I've heard a few people in my pastoral experience, which includes a couple different places. But I've heard some people say, why do we do so much for the children and for the youth? I'll tell you why, because they're the next generation. And I've said this before. I don't remember the last time a 70 or 80-year-old person says, I'm done with Jesus, I'm walking away from him. But I've seen too many teen-something and 20-something turn against Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, we have to do everything that we can in the time that we have to affect and influence the generation that follow us, follows us for the glory of God. Because, because the bears are coming. I love my country. And I, and I like my culture. And I'm familiar with it. But the greatest hope for our nation, I'm sorry if this offends you, 
this, we're an equal opportunity offender here. We, we, we offend someone. We should offend someone, and I suppose if we're preaching the gospel. But I think we need to do everything we can to get good people elected and, and enact good laws. But I'll tell you what, the, the only hope for our nation is, 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 is true and deep revival. It's the only hope for our nation. Right? I, I guess I've, I'm just too much of a student of history. Nations rise and nations fall. And the only thing that really makes a difference, the only thing that makes a difference in the, in the ongoing righteousness of a, nat- a nation is the, the people within it who turn to God. And someday, should the Lord tarry, our nation will be no more. I, I recognize that. And very few nations will last more than a thousand years or so probably many a lot less than that but there is a there is a kingdom that will last forever and i want everyone that i know to be a part of that we're going to we're going to close this way um lana would you would you help me on the on the piano thank you dear friend lana um i just want us to right where we are just make an altar of prayer. Again, these altars are, are going to be open, but I, I want to speak particularly to those who are uh, parents and grandparents. Um, uh, let me just, uh, just a personal thing here. Many years ago, when I first became a father, I, uh, I remember praying, God, give me, give me enough time to influence my children to follow you. I prayed that. I said, God, I've heard a lot of people that have died and they weren't able to influence their children for Christ. I said, I remember praying, God, just give me enough years till there may be 15, the youngest is 15 or 16. Just give me enough years so that I can see my children serving Christ. Well, my kids are raised now and they're serving Jesus and I'm so grateful for that. Many of you had a part in that as well. But I've kind of gotten to the point now where, you know, I announced a few weeks ago where now, I'm, now I'm, my prayer is like this. Well, God, give me enough years. I want to influence my grandchildren. That's fair, isn't it? And, 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 and maybe, maybe I can influence them so that even after I'm gone, they can influence their children. I'm concerned for the generations that follow me. And I think you are too. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want swift and sure and deadly judgment to come. I know some of you have children. Right now they're not serving the Lord, but we're going to pray for them right now. Some of you are just starting this parent thing. And boy, I'll tell you what, live Jesus. Trust Jesus. Show your kids Jesus. Show them Jesus so that that next generation will then say, I know Jesus. You say, well, I don't have any children. Yeah, well, you're still a person of influence. You have a greater, you have a greater influence than you realize. And I, I want you to pray for the next generation, right? Not only for the current one, but the people that we're reaching, Yes. Is there's still time, right? There's still time for anybody that you know. If they're still breathing, there's still opportunity. But judgment is coming, so I want you to look at them that way. They're not just that 
that person that I work with, live with, live near, study with. They're a person who's going to live together one place or another. Judgment is coming. But God made a way through his son Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead to give us new life. And that's what we're all about. Would you stand with me, please? Would you fix in your minds faces of your children, your grandchildren. While you cannot see their heart, you have a pretty good idea of where they are with the Lord. There, Some of you may even be praying for generations that are yet unborn. I want you to picture in your mind the, the faces and the names of the people over whom you have tremendous influence. It may be a niece, a nephew, it may be a friend, it may be a neighbor, it may be someone that you've mentored, it may be someone that you employ, but they look to you and you have a place of influence in their lives and I want you to pray for them. They're the next generation. Judgment is coming, but Jesus made a way. Let's pray for them right now. Lord, I thank you for these people and I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us through a very brief story that is not there by mistake, but it's purposeful. And I pray that we would be people who look around us and look below us to the generations that are following us, and may we do everything we have in the time that we have to influence them for you. May we live, may we live it, may we live it, so that even if long after we're gone and we have been taken up into heaven ourselves through death, I pray that even then may they look back and say, I knew a man of God. I knew a a woman of God. May we do that. Use us, Lord, in the time that we have to influence those who are coming after us for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Use these parents, these grandparents, these persons of influence. Use them for your glory. And Lord, I ask your blessing upon them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for these people. Use them in miraculous ways going forward. What we read about here in your word was never meant to be limited only to your word. It's not simply a matter of record. The power of Jesus Christ is still with us. The power of God operates through us for your glory and for yours alone. So use us in the coming week, Lord. I thank you. You are good. You are faithful. You are powerful. We revere you and we thank you for the things of God. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power, influencing power of the Lord Jesus Christ.